Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. So good to see you here this morning on this beautiful June morning. Amen? All right, turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Guys, I am sad. I'm sad we're saying goodbye to Philippians today. This is our last week in, in this amazing letter. And as, we, as we've gone through this journey, you know, we, we started January uh, beginning in the book of Philippians. We took a little eight-week sabbatical in our, in our sermon series on the cross. Uh, but this has been an amazing letter. Uh, one of the things that we've been talking about over and over again, why we labeled this series Consumed, is because Paul, Paul's main focus in life was to get this church consumed with Jesus, consumed with the gospel, consumed with, with the implications of what it means to be followers of Jesus in their community. And, and, if, and if, I was kind of, if I could just back up a little bit uh, to remind us, this is a very personal letter. Paul writes this letter, the, the occasion of this letter, as we're going to see in the text this morning, uh, Paul is in prison. He is in really under house arrest. He's not in this. When we think of Paul being in prison, it's not like he's in this dungeon. Uh, he's really under house arrest, but he cannot leave. He can't go anywhere. And in the Philippian church, which Paul helped start, he helped begin this church. He helped plant this church. Uh, it's the story of Paul uh, when, when he went to Philippi and he gets thrown in, in the prison. And that was a real prison. And he and Silas are singing in jail and there's this earthquake and and all of a sudden, all the chains fall off, and this jailer's about to commit suicide, and they call him, hey, we haven't left, and the Philippian jailer falls down, and it's like, what must I do to be saved? And he, they, they laid this guy to the Lord, and, and there's just this beautiful picture of the gospel being planted in this community, in this city, in the Roman Empire. And, and as, year, as the years have progressed, uh, this church has kept in touch with Paul through a number of means. There are some churches that gave Paul heartburn, okay? This was not one of those churches. This church does not give Paul heartburn. In fact, Paul, Paul refers to this church over and over again how much affections he has for this group of people. And one of the ways that this church was always helping Paul was by giving him a gift, being very generous with the resources that they had, where they were always giving him uh, a gift to make sure that he was taken care of. And so when he was in under house arrest, they heard about this. Now, again, this is, you got to remember, how did they find this out? It was word of mouth. Okay, we live in a day and age with social media where everyone knows what everyone is doing. Now, I'm not on, I, I don't, I'm not on social media, so when people tell me that, they're, that something's going on in their life, I'm like, really? And they're like, I posted about it. You know, it's not like Paul was in, in Rome, like, here I am. You know, he, that was not Paul. And so there had to be this, this underground circuit of information being passed around. And they found out, oh, Paul is in prison. So they send Epaphroditus, uh, a messenger from their church. And they, he takes this, this uh, two-month journey, maybe three-month journey to Rome to give him this monetary gift. Hey, Paul, we want to make sure your needs are taken care of. And so Paul writes back. He sends Epaphroditus back, and he sends this letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And for the bulk of this letter, it is 
hey, we want you, I want you to, you know, to, for to live is Christ, to die is gain. I want you to know Jesus. I want you to walk as citizens of the gospel. I, I want you to, you know, you know, I want you to know Jesus so intimately and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sufferings. Last week, set your mind, right? You know, think about whatever things are, are true and honorable and pure and, and, and lovely and, and all of these. There's, there's this instruction of how to live. And we get to this point in this letter that Paul is going to share something very personal. It's, it's like we get to open somebody's mail. Did you ever get a, a letter in, the, in your mailbox and it's, and it's not your, I'm not talking about a bill, I'm talking like a real letter. And you're like, man, this, this wrong delivery and you take it to someone. What we have here is a very personal account here of Paul writing to this church about how he feels about the gifts they keep giving him. This is, this is, there is instruction here, but I want you to understand the personal tone here that Paul is giving. This is a relationship that is, that's transcended years, transcended continents. He knows these people. They have invested in Paul, and Paul has invested in them. And he's now writing to them about their gift and what it means to Paul. And what, one of the things that Paul's going to be talking about in this letter about their, genera- their generosity and their gift, is he wants them to understand that, that their gift, when they took this collection for Paul and gave it to Paul, this is not a one-way, two-dimensional thing going on here. Like, okay, we collected money for Paul and we're giving you money. That's a very human way of looking at things. Paul's saying, I want you to see the kingdom perspective. I want you to see the God perspective because when you gave this gift to me, you didn't just, this was not just something that you did for me. This is something as you did it for me, there's something happening to you, and there's something that was happening to God, and there's something God was doing to you. Like there's this, there's this triangulation of relationship, horizontal, vertical going on, that this gift was not just one way, two-dimensional. This gift was something that was profound. It had an impact. It impressed, it, it had an impact on God. It had an impact on them as much as it had an impact on Paul. And that's what I want us to see here today. That, that when we are generous with what God gives to us, because all of us, here's the beauty of this, of this letter, all of us have the opportunity to do the very thing that this church did for Paul. And when you and I do that, when you and I give to things, when we give to, to, to people, when we give to the mission of God, when we give to projects uh, for the gospel, listen, what, there's, there's, some, there's a transaction taking place that's more than just one way. It's not just, hey, here's some, here's some money. Here's some support. No, no, no. There's something that's happening not only to the person receiving the gift. There's something that's happening to you, the one who's giving the gift. And there's something that's happening to God. And there's something that God's doing to, to you who's giving and God's doing to the one who's receiving. There is all kinds of movement going on here, and that's what Paul's trying to say. And so, so if I could give you a main idea this morning, here's the main idea. Generosity. Generosity blesses me, it blesses others, and it blesses God. There's, there are direction, there's a directional thing happening horizontally, vertically, three-way. There's this three-dimension aspect of generosity that I want us to see. That as much as we think when we give our gifts to people in need, there is a blessing that happens to the one who receives, 
But there's also a blessing that happens to the, to the giver, and there's a blessing that happens towards God. And I want us to see that this, this morning, this three-dimensional aspect of the gifts of, of when we are generous. So, so I want us to look at this, this generosity. And, uh, and, and Paul talks about just, look at verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You indeed, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now what he's just saying is, listen, I want, I want a reference here. I've given you all the main instruction. I want to talk to you about what you've just given me. And this idea, this revived concern for me, it wasn't that they stopped being concerned, that they had, didn't have an opportunity, they didn't know where Paul was, they hadn't heard from him, a, from him in a while, and so they finally get word from him. And this idea revived, this is this Greek word that's used as a flower blossoming that's been dormant. You know, we just got through spring, and, and I, I love when spring comes out. We've got these flowers in our, in our front yard that bloom once a year, and when they bloom, they are just beautiful. My wife is you know, she's got this green thumb, and she plants all kinds of flowers, and we have our own garden, all kinds of things. And, and when those flowers bloom, it's like this beautiful thing that, our, that around our house we have for a few weeks I just absolutely love. And that's what Paul's referencing, that when you gave this gift to me, it was like your concern for me was just blossomed again. It was this beautiful picture of love and concern, and I want you to know I recognize what you're doing for me. Now, now we're going to skip, we're going to start really in our, our main teaching in verse 14. And we're going to go back to verses 11 through uh, uh, 13 because, you know, there's a very popular verse in this text. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Have any of you heard that verse before? All right, all, I mean, I, I'll tell you what, when I, was a, when I was a youth pastor and I was a youth pastor at a Christian school and every time there was a Christian school graduation, you had to give your favorite verse, your life verse. I would say 50% of the high school teenagers that I've ever heard said this is their life verse. Now, I don't think that's a bad thing. I just don't think that we really understand the context of what this verse means. So we're going to go back and look at that verse because I think sometimes what, when it says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, that, it, that does not mean that you can dunk the basketball. Okay? That, 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 you know, if you're five foot, you're like, I, I can do all things through Christ. I'm going to dunk that basketball. Listen, you and I need to talk afterwards. That's not what this, that verse is not a verse about omnipotence. That's a verse that, if in the context here, is dealing with contentment and generosity. But I want us to start with verse 14, and then we're going to come back up to Paul's statements about his own, his own contentment. Um, but, but I want us to see, first of all, there, there's this partnership of generosity. So we're going to look at the partnership of generosity, the profit of generosity, the pleasure of generosity, and then the promise of generosity. The partnership, the profit, the pleasure, and the promise of generosity. These are all things that are happening. The three-dimensional, horizontal, vertical relationship that's going on when we are generous with our, with our, with our, uh, with our resources. And so let's look first at the partnership of generosity, verses 14 and 15. It says this, Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Now I want you to circle, underline, highlight that word, share. Okay? It was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership, circle, underline, highlight that word partnership, with me in giving and receiving except you only. Now, now Paul's saying, listen, you and I have a special relationship. 
I, I, when I planted my church in Philippi, Paul has planted many churches at this point. He's gone to many cities. He has planted many different places. But he's saying, you guys, you are very special to me. And it's not necessarily because you know, he's making, making money off of them. He's just saying, you believe in what I'm doing. Because I know that because you're always sending me gifts. When, when I had to leave Philippi, and we can, see, we can read about this historically in the book of Acts. He said, when I had to leave Philippi and I had to go to Thessalonica, you sent me money because he had to leave Philippi in, in a, uh, under duress. And they sent him money to make sure his needs were taken care of. And he's saying, you're always making sure that I'm taken care of. But that, those words I had you underline, share and partnership, are two Greek words that are very unique. And they're the words, the, the, the root word is koinonia. Now, one is a verb form and one is the noun form. But koinonia is a very unique word. The first time we really see the word koinonia used a lot is in the book of Acts, talking about the fellowship. Now, when you hear the word fellowship, that word fellowship comes from this idea of koinonia. It means to share life together. It's, a, it's What Paul is saying is, when you give your gift to me, you, this is more than support. In fact, I, I don't like the word support. I like the word partnership. Because that's the word that Paul is using here. When you give me your gifts, you are partnering with me in the gospel. There's something, there's, there's something that's happening where you all of a sudden, where as I am sharing the gospel and I'm doing the work of planting the gospel and planting churches all across the Roman world, I want you to know something. You are my partner in doing that. That when we are generous with our gifts, with our tithes, with our offerings, and we send it to the work of the Lord, and we send it to people who are doing the, the planting of the gospel work, we become sharers. We, we start sharing in the partnership of the mission of God. Listen, what's happening here is that it's almost like we are present with them on the mission field. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that amazing to think that the way God looks at when we give, this isn't just a transaction, okay, here's some support. No, we become more than supporters. We become partners. We, we start sharing things because when we share things, guess what? We start being more concerned about it. There was a project that my family and I prayed for for years. And my brother, who was a church planter over in Germany, uh, this church was building this building to host conferences and, and resource around this entire region to plant churches. And it was called the Kusel Project because Kusel was the name of the town in Germany that, we, uh, that this church was in. And so we prayed. I remember my kids were really young. We prayed for this project over and over and over again. And we actually had a chance, uh, my son and I, to go and take, uh, to use our own money resources. We spent money to go over there and work for a week. I took a work project group over there and we helped, uh, for a week, we helped put in the rafters of this building. And I, I'm one who hates heights, but I found myself, I was 30 feet above ground all week long. And that was not enjoyable to me. But it was something that, that you know, you do for the Lord. But, but there's something when you are over there and you are, you are giving your own time, your own resources, your own gifts, your own energy to do this. All of a sudden, I'm concerned. Every single time I'd call, talk to my brother, hey, what's going on with the building? How's it going? We're praying for it. And it was so cool about three years ago that I got a chance to take a group of students here uh, over there to operate and to do ministry in that building that we had prayed for for years. I'll tell you, partnership is awesome. 
Partnership is so enjoyable. It's one of the most exciting things that we get to do as followers of Jesus. Listen, the world has projects. The world has 501c3s. The world has things that they're doing, and they're they're not bad. Feeding the hungry is great. Taking care of people who are sick, that's wonderful. But there's something spiritual, and there's something supernatural as the people of God. When we give our resources and our money, and we are generous, we become partners in the gospel. And that's an amazing opportunity. You know, I asked Dan to share with me. I said, you know, give me, give me a little, uh, a little uh, a big picture thing of what's going on missions-wise. I know Dan shared a little bit about a month ago of some of the highlights of what God's doing. I mean, did you see that video this morning of the thing, the opportunity? We're going to get a chance to send uh, Bibles digital Bibles into a closed country that, that is very, very hard. It's almost impossible to get into. And yet God is going to give our church an opportunity to hopefully, I mean, I would love to blow the doors off this project. If we could send a thousand Bibles, if not more, into that country, what is the fruit of the gospel going to produce with that? I cannot think of a better opportunity for $25 spent than to buy a Bible to go into a closed country. We don't know the fruit that will come from that. But man, that's partnership. Uh, you know, Dan said, listen, th- this last year, uh, in the last year, we have given a half a million dollars. This church, we have given a half a million dollars to local, national, and international missions. Every year in our budget, we designate 10% that goes out outside our doors. When you, for 10 cents of every dollar you give to this church, leaves our, this church and goes to help other projects around the world. And with above and beyond and the, the monthly giving emphasis that we do, we double that that. Every single year, and we give over a half a million dollars. We have projects going on, church planting projects. We've given $125,000 to this India church planting project, and we're about to send another $25,000 this summer to train 500 church planters. We have 218 church planters already trained, already planting churches in the nation of India right now. And we're going to see hundreds of more in the next year. This is, what, this is the partnership we get to be a part of. We have missionaries, we have, we have over two dozen individuals and families scattered around the world from Asia to Africa to Europe to North America that we are partnering with to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what's so cool to think about. There's not a day that goes by that, that our support, our partnership of what we do in our giving, the sun does not set on our partnership of the gospel in this planet. Is that awesome? That is the work of God, and that's the opportunity we get to, we get to partner. We get to partner with God's work, but, but let me just say this. We live in Lake Norman, and sometimes it's easier to write a check than to actually go about and say and do things. And as much as the, the work of Jesus Christ needs churches and people to support people like Paul, you know what, this, you know what our nation needs? You know what our community needs? We need more people like Paul. And, and what I don't, listen, we're always saying, let's partner with the gospel. Let's give, let's receive, let's, let's send out the resources God's given to us. Let's go above and beyond. But, but I, I, never, I never want us to think to be satisfied by saying, I can write a check and my duty for the gospel is taken care of. All of us have a responsibility, like Paul, to plant the gospel where we live, where we work, where we play, where we learn. We have the opportunity 
to, to partner with God, not just in giving, but also living it out. And I think that's really important. I, I wanted to say that. So first we have the partnership of, their, of the generosity. And then, and then next we have the prophet of generosity, the prophet of generosity. Look at verses 16 and 17. It says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Not, so Paul's saying, listen, I love it. When you send me gifts over and over again, I have loved this. But here's what I want you to understand. I don't, when you send me the gift, I don't look at this as, oh, how much money did they send me? I, don't, I want you to understand, he says this in the previous verses, I, I'm content. I don't need your offering. I don't need this gift. God's going to take care of me. But I, I thank, I'm thankful for the gift. But, but look what he says again. Not that I seek the gift. Paul was saying, I don't seek the, the gift that you're giving me. What matters to me is not the, the amount of money that you're giving to me. And l- listen, let me just say this. This is a little sidebar thing. We need to be very careful who we give our, our, our resources to. That's why we, we are above board in our church of, of how we spend our, our resources, our money, why we have audits every other year to make sure third party coming in, making sure there's nothing happening in this church that's being spent uh, you know, haphazardly or abusively. But, but one of the things that, that we need to make sure, and you might look at a project, you might look at a missionary, you might look at a work, and you're saying, man, I want to help that. Listen, make sure you're always partnering with people that don't just want money. That's what Paul's saying. This isn't just about the money for him. What he really cares about, there's something supernatural going on here. He says, I don't, I don't seek the gift. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So again, remember, when, we, when there's this generosity, there's all this transaction going on. And what Paul is saying is, when you give this gift to me, there's something that's happening on your behalf to you. There's fruit that's being produced to your credit. This idea of, of, of bearing fruit uh, to, to, this, to, his, to their account. Another passage of scripture might translate it to your account. Um, it's almost like Paul is giving this update uh, like he's, he's their, more, he's their um, investment broker. He's saying, I, I need to give you an update on your account, what's going on. Now, listen, some of you have been calling your investment brokers over the last couple months. It, w- do I need to move assets? The, the stock market is, looks like it's fragile. What's going on with interest rates? What's going on with inflation? There's a lot of financial decisions that all of us are making right now. What to invest in, what not to invest in, what to hold on to, what not to hold on to. Right? These, are, these are things that you and I are living in. Paul gives this language here to describe there's something happening when you gave me this gift. There's a spiritual work that's happening that that is increasing. That that means there's something more important. Now, they did not have 401ks and IRAs back in the Roman world. They didn't have Social Security. But what Paul is recognizing is there's a different kind of account. This word, that word credit, at the end of verse 17, the fruit that increases to your credit uh, is the word logos. And other translations translate that account. There's eight other times that word is translated account, which means that there is a responsibility given to an individual. Luke 16 is a great example of this. That there's a responsibility, a stewardship given to take care of something that was given to them, and they are now giving an account to the person who gave them that thing. And that is what Paul, Paul's drawing their attention is, hey, listen, all, what's happening here is you have been given an account, and it's, it's bigger than, than money. 
It's what you are doing with your resources and doing with your time and doing with your talents that you will give an account one day that there's a spiritual 401k. There's a spiritual IRA that is in heaven that we, are have, we have no idea. We can't check it on, on Google how well we're doing in our account. But Paul says, when you give this gift, when you gave this gift that's bearing fruit to your account in heaven, I remember when I was a young, young kid, I was just beginning, not a young kid, I was about 15 years old. And I was just, you know, uh, I'd grown up in the church, I was a pastor's kid, but I, I, had, I had kind of slipped into this period of apathy in my life. You know, church was what my mom and dad did. It, it, wasn't, it didn't really affect me, but I, I had gone to this Christian camp uh, one summer, somewhere in between my freshman and my sophomore year, and God really got a hold of my life. I mean, just radically changed it. And, and I started caring about the things of God. And I remember coming away from that camp saying, I'm, gonna, I'm going to read the Bible for myself. And this camp was up in Michigan. We still take our kids to that camp to this day. But we're driving home, and we stopped it in the, the western New York area uh, on our way home to Pennsylvania. and spent a few days there with my grandparents in western New York. And I remember on, my, on, on that little, we used to stay in this one guest room in my grandparents' house. And I remember I started reading the Bible for myself for the first time. And I was reading the Bible for the first time, and I didn't know where to start, where to begin, but I just figured I'm going to start in the New Testament because the Old Testament seemed daunting to me. I didn't really know what to make of the Old Testament. But I said, I'm going to, read, I'm going to begin with Jesus. And I remember reading the book of Matthew, and I just started reading. And I didn't stop at one chapter. I just kept reading and reading and reading. And I remember laying on that bed that night in my grandparents' house. And I came across Matthew chapter 6. And Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, had a profound impact on my life. And it was just like, I'm not sure if you've ever had that moment where you're reading the word of God and it feels like the heavens are parting and God is just like, just speaking to you. You know, we have these banners around this room, let us hear from you today, God, through your spirit and through your word. I had one of those moments when I was 15 years old, on that bed in that guest room in my grandparents' house. When Jesus is teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves can break in and steal, but instead store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy, where thieves cannot break in and steal. For your, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That passage of scripture struck my heart like a lightning bolt. And, and, I, and I made a decision that day as a 15-year-old say, I'm not going to live this life for money. It's not about how much money I have. It's not about, and again, this is before I, God called me into the ministry. But I promise you this, I would not be standing before you today in the position I am today if I had not made that commitment then. I was not going to spend my life pursuing the riches of this world. I was going to spend my life making sure I, I, I pursued God and his riches. And listen, I'm 46 years old. That's th Oh, man, that makes me feel really old right now. About 31 years ago, 31 years ago is when I made that commitment on my grandparents, in my grandparents' house, on that bed. And I don't regret that decision one moment. Listen, I think when we, if we are to live for the profit of generosity, we have to care more about our spiritual account than our bank accounts, than our retirement accounts. 
That, that is a work of our own hearts that we have to confront over and over again. God, Jesus, the New Testament all the times confronts this idea of the love of money. Be careful of the love of money. Be careful of you pursuing the, the, the riches of this world. Listen, there's nothing wrong with wealth. In fact, I hate what's going on in our culture today. They want to demonize people that, that work hard, that make money, and that do something with their life. Listen, if you have done that and God has blessed you materially, praise God for that. Okay, Praise God for that. You're not wicked and evil if you have resources and, and, and wealth. But we don't live for that as followers of Jesus. We live for a different kingdom. We have a different love. And what, what, what I think all of us need to understand is there is a profit of generosity. When we give gifts, when we are generous with our resources and our money, there is, God is doing something in a spiritual bank account that, that, we are, that is bearing fruit. And I love that. So not only do we have a partnership of generosity, there's the, there's the profit of generosity. Next, we have the pleasure of generosity. The pleasure of generosity. All right, so let's look at verse 18. Verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. So what he's saying is, what you gave me was so abundant. And, and Paul uses this idea of payment here. He's, he's playing off this idea of, listen, I've invested in you with my life. I've given my life to you. And you have now reciprocated that, that investment in investment in me. And so I receive that in full. Uh, and he says, and more, I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent. Now he uses three terms to describe this gift again. But what does he say? Uh, this gift is a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable pleasing to God. We have the pleasure of generosity. So again, remember, when we give, there's something going on. When we're giving, we're not, there's something happening that we're not just giving money to this one thing. There's, there's a benefit to us as well and that, there is a, that, that we become partners with them over here. And then there's something happening to us when we give. There's something happening to the prophet, the bearing fruit for this account that we have in heaven. There's something that God is doing supernaturally inside of us. So there's this benefit with the person receiving and the person giving. And now we see there's this benefit to God that when you and I give these gifts and we are generous with our resources, it's like this, the terminology that Paul is using is this idea of a sacrifice. That when, when you go to a temple, there are these sacrifices going on. And when you sacrifice things, when you sacrifice, usually they would sacrifice animals or they would sacrifice uh, ointments. But there would always be aromas going on. Okay? Uh, whenever it's a holiday, we just got uh, Memorial Day, right? When you walked outside of your home around Memorial Day, what did you smell? You, smell, you smelled meat burning in your neighborhood. <laughs> did you not? Okay? And some of you are like, oh. I wish someone would invite me over to their house, right? You smell something, there's, there's this, this savory, this amazing aroma, like mm, someone's, someone's got barbecue going. But you'd smell these smells and they were, they were fragrant aromas that, that would draw you in. And, and one of the things that this, this idea of this fragrant aroma, Paul is, is making your mind think about a couple of things. Number one, the most, the most, uh, the most used time of this phrase, this fragrant aroma, is used actually in the book of Leviticus. That God is used to describe when the, when the Israelites would offer their offerings, whether it was a sin offering or whether it was a, 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 all the different offerings, that it says it would become a pleasing aroma to God. Now, 
I don't know how God, something amazing happens that God can smell things. But God smells things on earth. And he smells not just meat burning. He didn't just smell the, the, the bulls and the goats burning on the sacrifice. There's other things that smell to God. And this idea, this idea of fragrant aromas, it's actually used four different times, including this one in Scripture. One is used in, in, in John chapter 14. Remember when Mary goes in and she has this very expensive perfume ointment. She breaks it and she pours it over Jesus' feet and says there's this fragrant aroma filled the room. And she was doing this to commemorate, memorialize his death. And Jesus said, well, no, what she's doing, because people are complaining, this is a waste. This is a year's worth salary just being poured out on his feet. And he's like, no, no, what she's doing is a beautiful thing. And wherever the gospel is mentioned, this story will be remembered. But you have this idea of fragrant aroma, anointing the feet of Jesus before his death. The other time we see it is in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, when it talks about how our lives, when we are living for Christ, become the, the fragrant aroma of Christ in, in this world, that we represent this idea of his aroma to the world, that, that we represent the death, the, the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus as we walk, as we live, that we are this fragrant aroma to people who don't know Jesus because we're reminding them of who Jesus is. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, this is another time when it talks about Jesus' death, his sacrifice was a, was a fragrant aroma to God. And this is the fourth occasion. The fourth occasion is right here saying this gift, this offering, was this fragrant aroma to God. Now here's what's so interesting. Of the other three usages of the, this idea of fragrant aroma, it centers around and it, and it, sur it surrounds this idea of Jesus' death. All of them. All of these ideas of, of fragrant aroma surround or describe different aspects of the death of Jesus which tells us something, that, that when we give and how we should give can be a fragrant aroma. Just, to, just because you, you, you know, drop, a, uh, drop a check into the, to the box when you leave or you do a bill pay, listen, there's something that can happen if we, if we give the right way, if we give in worship, if we give with a sense of, and here's what I think as Christians we need to remember, that our giving and our generosity should always be a response to the death and sacrifice of Jesus. That is how we give as Christians. There's a lot of ways people give today, right? Some people give out of pride. Look at, look at what I'm doing, right? There's a story in the Bible, Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. All these people were giving gifts. Barnabas was giving this massive gift. And then Ananias and Sapphira were like, hey, we want to give gifts. And, and so they sold a piece of property. They made a lot of money and they kept some of the portion back for themselves. But they wanted, they wanted everyone to look at them. And we know that when, when they gave, there was a judgment on them. That was not a fragrant aroma offering to God. Because it was about pride. They wanted people to look at them. Sometimes you can give money out of, out of guilt, right? Like, oh, all right, you're at the grocery store and like, would you like to give to help children have cancer? And you're like, all right. Because if I say no, they're going to think I'm a big jerk, right? Now listen, I, my heart goes towards children with cancer, but sometimes we, we, get, we give out of guilt. Or sometimes you give out of pity. You feel, oh, I feel so bad for them. Look at, their, look at their situation, right? You know, you, you see, when I was growing up, it was the Ethiopian children, Sally Struthers. 
Do you remember Sally Struthers? We gotta give it to the children. Right? She's crying on you know these commercials, and you're like, give her 20 bucks, right? That's not how we should give as followers of Jesus. It, it, a gift that is given as a fragrant offering. There, there's, a, there's an amazing passage of scripture in 2 Corinthians that talks about that why we give, and it's all about the gospel. I want, to, I want to read this for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is talking about collecting a gift to give to the churches in need. He's writing this letter to the Corinthian church. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Paul is drawing this analogy that when we give, we give rooted from the gospel. We understand of what Christ sacrificed for us. So when I sacrifice for him, for his work, it, it, it is not out of this sense of guilt it's not a sense of compulsion. It's not a sense of obligation. It's not a sense out of pity. It's a sense of worship and love. Oh, I, if this is pleasing to you, God, I love that last phrase, pleasing to God. Because when I love someone, when I love, because I love my wife, I clean the kitchen. It pleases her. She's acts of service. Now, do I like the kitchen clean? Sometimes. But the, the, the reason, the majority of the reasons why I clean the kitchen and when I do is because I want my wife to feel loved. When there is genuine love, in our, if, when there's genuine love for God, then guess what we will do? We will be generous because we know that we, when we give out of this sense of worship, when we give out of this response to his sacrifice for me, and I know it's pleasing to him, that, that when we give a gift and when we are generous with our resources, it affects God in a very special way. I love that. I love that. Man, listen, next time you, know, you, you, fill out, you go to your bill pay and you, you send money through, through your bank or you go on CCB and send it through the app or whatever it is to this church, pause before you hit send. Pause before you hit send and think about the sacrifice of Christ for you. Let it be done out as an act of worship. Don't just do it because it's the right thing to do. Don't just do it out of compulsion. Don't do it out of just repetition. Do it out of a sense of worship of what he has done for us. And finally, we have, so we have this pleasure of generosity. Lastly, we have the promise of generosity. The promise of generosity. Look what he says in verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now listen, that's pretty bold. Paul's like, listen, God's going to take care of all your needs. My God's going to take care of your needs. How can Paul say that? That's pretty, that's, pretty, that's pretty bold of Paul to say that. Why could he say that? Well, let's go back up to verse 11. But what he says, he's, as he's describing the content of, of receiving this gift, look at his perspective. It's not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Listen, Paul says, I know God's going to supply your need. You know why? Because God has always supplied my need. Throughout the 20 years I have followed Jesus, I have learned something. that it, Yes, there are going to be times when the bank account is really low and I don't know where the next meal is going to come from. 
And there have been times where I had extra, I had more than I needed. There have been times of abundance and there have been times of need. But listen, here's what I know. There's something better, there's something bigger than than my joy and my hope and my peace does not rise and fall based on what I own or what I have or the resources I have. How how my the 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 stock market's going down, (gasps) freaking out. Is that Paul? No, he learned contentment. The promise of generosity is contentment. Listen, I think many of us, we mistake thinking, I've got, to wait, I've got to make sure that things are fine with me before I can give. No, no, no. What happens is this. What we think has to happen is I've got to be content before I'm generous. And actually the opposite happens. Really, we have to be generous. We have to practice generosity, and it teaches us contentment. That's what Paul is saying. I know God's going to richly supply your needs because he's always richly supplied my needs. What, what's, what, what do I mean by contentment? Here's a great definition of contentment. Contentment, contentment is the belief and the peace that God is going to take care of you and your needs. It's the belief and the peace that God's going to take care of you. God is going to take care of your needs. That's, that, that's why the stock market can do this, right? And I have peace. We, we, we can see things right. I can be in need or I can be in abundance. I've got peace. God's going to take care of me. Am I grateful for when God gives me more? Absolutely. I'm so grateful. But I can also not freak out. I, I, I don't have to lose, you know, start getting fearful or start worrying. I can trust that God is going to take care of my needs. Generosity breeds contentment. Listen, what we need today We don't need more affluence. We don't need more financial security. We don't need another zero at the end of our bank accounts. What we need today in Lake Norman is contentment. We need contentment. And that is something no matter how much you make, no matter where you live, you can have in the name of Jesus. That's a choice. And that's something that God promises. He's going to take care of your needs He will never leave you or forsake you. Over and over again, we need to learn to trust God. He's going to provide for me. Some of you have testimonies of that. I've got testimonies of that, how God's richly supplied our needs. I wish I could go into all the stories of how God's supplying our needs. Amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. But God is going to do that, and he's he's going to promise to take care of us, and that's contentment. I can have peace no matter what's happening around me because I know God loves me. He's going to take care of me. So, so, so this is when we are generous, there's something going on here. There's, 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 we're partnering with these people over here, and there's something happening to us as the giver, and we're pleasing God, and then God is going to, God's now directing. When we give, God's directing contentment, and he's giving, saying, I'm going to take care of you. You don't have to worry. You, I've got you in my hands. God, when we give, God is saying, I got you. Don't worry about that. That's, that's the joy that's the, that's the produce, that's, the, that's the, 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 the product of generosity when we are generous. A couple questions and then we're done. Number one, who is God calling you to partner with in your giving? Who's God calling you to partner with? Man, I would love to blow the doors up. You know what I would love to see? I would love, I'm, I'm so grateful that we are a generous church, that, that, that we, we, are, we are one of the most generous churches in Lake Norman. Uh, with, with, with the percentage and the amount that we get that leaves our church to help other causes across the world and across our nation. 
But man, you know what I would love one day? I would love to be able to say we give a million dollars away every year to things out. Kingdom, I want to be the most kingdom-minded, the most generous church. And it, I mean, I think we, we can do that. I believe it's possible. But what is, who does God want you to partner with? Who's God calling you saying, listen, I, I want to give money. I want to, I want to take the, what, God, what I've received from God and I want to bless someone. Who's God calling you to partner with for the gospel? Number two, do you see the benefits? Are you able to now to understand and see the benefits that are both horizontal and vertical? Do you see what's happening when you give? That's happen- what's happening to you, what's happening to God, what God's doing to you, what God's doing to them? Like, Do you see the three-dimensional aspect of, of generosity now? Don't just think generosity is just one way I'm giving to support. I've done my duty. No, no, no. There's something triangle, spiritual, supernatural going on when we are generous. Do you see it? Do you believe it? And then lastly, are you trusting God to meet your needs? Are you content right now? Is there a spirit of contentment that you have in your heart and your mind over over what you have? And, and, and that leads us to the last verse. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Listen, that verse is talking 100% about contentment. I can do all things means I, I can have the contentment in life, no matter if I'm in need or if I'm in abundance. I can do it. There's no excuses. I can have contentment today in my life. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. As we leave here today, I just want to challenge you today. Maybe God's calling you to live in the spirit of generosity. Maybe you've never given before. Maybe the first step is to to do something. Maybe buying a Bible for $25 to a closed country might be the first step. I want to encourage you to do that. Take a first step of generosity. Believe that there's something supernatural that's going to happen to you and in you when you do that. I want to challenge you to make that first step. If you've never made that step of generosity before, I encourage you to do it today. Next, maybe you're sitting here and all this talk of generosity, and I I drew the connection with the gospel, but maybe what's hard for you about being generous is because it's hard for you to think about God being generous towards you. Let me just tell you something. If you have questions about how much God loves you or what he's done for you, if you have any questions about faith or about God, we'd love to talk with you. Come see me after the service. I'll be at one of the doors. Pastor Dan will be at one of the doors. We have our prayer team out there in the lobby. They got little red lanyards to say, how can I pray for you? If you have any questions or, or just need prayer today, maybe you are having a hard time with contentment. There's worry, fear, and anxiety. You just need someone to pray with you. We'd love to do that. Don't leave here today without submitting to God. Whatever he's calling you to do, let's be obedient to him today. Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity we have to finish off this letter, to to understand that, that being consumed with Jesus, being consumed with the gospel is going to, to reflect itself in the way that we are generous in giving with what you've given to us. It's a great way to end this study, Lord. And I just pray that God, we would be a church that multiplies our giving, that multiplies our generosity. God, that we will partner with more and more opportunities that we see the gospel planted and expanded around this world. God, you have given us the opportunity to partner with you. Let us do that today. We pray these things in the name of Jesus.
Let's stand and sing to our Lord.